you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the California Underground Podcast, a podcast where we talk about national news, California news, politics, and everything in between. For all those who are out there, just like the promo said, this is for conservatives, libertarians, moderate Democrats, independents, and basically anybody with common sense who's just tired of the far left taking over our state. Because there's a lot of us out there, no matter what they try and tell you, there's still a lot of us out there, and there's more than you think. And that's what the point of this is, it's called the California Underground. We start off with uh, our out-of-the-gate monologue, so starting off... It used to be so easy back in the day. Back in the day when I was, wait for it, a Democrat. (gasps) I know. Yes, I'm not afraid to say I'm somewhat of a convert, but it's not shocking if you know enough about me. See, I was always a moderate Democrat. I didn't believe in big government takeover or socialized anything. I supported the military and traditional values. I was sort of caught up in the 9-11 fiasco of George Bush and what happened and going to Iraq and instead of Afghanistan. So I became a Democrat. I was so moderate, in fact, that a lot of my liberal friends in college used to tease me that I was a Republican, which back then, scary to think. You're a Republican in college. Terrifying. But it was so easy back then being on the other side. Everything in culture swayed your way. Hollywood, the internet, and this was really before YouTube kind of took off. Late night shows, all of it. Culture was skewed towards your view. And you began to think you were the resistance fighting against this pariah in our country called the GOP. Fahrenheit 9-11 was the movie of our time where we blamed everything on W and his cronies. Hell, We even blame 9-11 itself on the fact that W fell asleep at the wheel. Even though sometimes I still think he did. So it was easy to fall into the idea that you were somehow waging this righteous crusade against evil conservatives. You had the right because it seemed like everyone was on your side. You felt a moral duty to help stamp out conservatives and Republicans everywhere. Then things changed. I started to see the Democratic Party shifting its aim towards people like me. Middle class, straight white guys, normal people who just wanted to live a normal life. As I was shoved out of the Democratic Party, I crossed over. This all taught me something, though. See, I was on the inside and saw how people thought. Now that I was on the other side, I could see those of the left were not the resistance. They were, in fact, the establishment, and I was being corralled like livestock to bleep incessantly about the sins of conservatives. And to this day, leftists still believe they are the resistance, that they are fighting this crusade for America's soul. But now that I'm on the other side, I can see they are far from the resistance. It's no secret that they control big tech, most of the information on the internet, late-night shows, movies, television, and pretty much all of the news. Yet they cry foul every time a conservative pushes back on them. However, this past week may have been the week that leftists began to overplay their hand. 
And I say may because it seems whenever leftists step out of line just a bit, they are never reprimanded. Sure, they can flaunt rules, laws, or guidelines with impunity because, well, what they're doing is, quote, morally right. Their goal is to bash the fash, and nothing should stop them because it is morally imperative that they do this. Otherwise, Cheeto Hitler wins. And I've talked incessantly a lot about how the left is pushing hard to deplatform, censor, suppress, and silence conservatives. It's been sort of a running theme at the start of these podcasts because it's something I'm trying to ring the alarm about the alarm bell about right now before it gets too bad. The left is coming after conservative voices and they are coming after them hard. But this week, one of the players on the left may have gone just a little bit too far. Now, if you haven't been following the adpocalypse, here's a basic rundown. Carlos Mazza, who pretends to be a journalist at Fox, started whining to YouTube that they should take down Steven Crowder because Steven used some offensive language in some of his rebuttal videos to him. Is lispy queer offensive? Maybe. Is it something Carlos Mazza used to describe himself at one point or another? Possible. But Mazza went full scorched earth on Crowder and wanted YouTube to take him down completely. He decried how unacceptable it was that YouTube gave someone like Crowder a platform. And the problem with leftists is that they never think about the consequences of their actions. They never see 12 steps ahead. Carlos Maza going full scorched earth on Crowder because he doesn't like him opens the floodgates. By deplatforming and demonetizing him, you now have a waterfall of calls to demonetize thousands of users. And when does it end? It usually ends coming back to bite leftists in their own ass. The left will continue to push these guerrilla status tactics as far as they can. Because as I've said before, they honestly believe that what they're doing is justified. They've been so conditioned and brainwashed to believe that they are fighting this moral crusade of the resistance against the evil establishment full of conservatives who are holding them down. They will do anything. And we're not fighting back as we should be. We're playing as if we are the establishment and they're playing as if they're the resistance when the, in fact the opposite is true. We need to be fighting as if we're the resistance and they, in fact, are the establishment. We need to get out there and fight like it's a street fight, like it's guerrilla warfare. Because when it comes down to it, they will use any tactic in their toolbox to win. And they already have so much on their side going for them. See, they continue this crusade because they believe in the world is rid of people who think differently than them, that we can all dance gleefully in our socialist utopia. And how do I know this is what they want? Because I was one of them. And I remember what it was like. Ignorance is bliss, war is peace, slavery is freedom. The world is upside down. It's time for us to stop pretending we're the establishment and that we are the resistance. And until we do, we'll never be able to fight back on square, on evil, even footing. So this episode, I want to talk a lot about what's going on in California. Not a lot of national news. It kind of ties into national news. What I want to talk about is the fact that California is moved up 
next year into March 3rd, which is Super Tuesday in primary season. If you don't know Super Tuesday, Super Tuesday is when there's a whole bunch of states all at once are voting in their primaries, which means that usually by the end of Super Tuesday, you have a good idea of who's really going to run away with it for the primary or for the nomination. Um, California jumped ahead. Usually California is way out in June. So by that time, you, most nominees or most, most people running have already sewn up the nomination at that point. So California moving into this March 3rd slot is a big deal. Because it gives California much more influence. And with 500 delegates... It is nothing to sneeze at, that's for sure. They're going to need those 500 delegates to get across the finish line or separate them for the rest of the pack. Some, the, the candidate who can win California in the Democratic Party is going to most likely be the front runner at the end of Super Tuesday. And that's why it's so important, because before then, California didn't really have an impact. And now, California's progressive policies are going to have more of an impact they're going to take more center stage than they usually have. But before we dive into that, there's a couple of things I want to bring up. The California Democratic Party, while from the outside you may look at it and say, well, they rule everything. How could they be in a bad position? And the GOP has basically been wiped off the map, so how bad could it be? In a recent town hall article, there was a report that California Democrats are actually a complete mess. And this is mostly due to the fact that you're seeing it on the national stage as well as in California. You're starting to see the fraction of the Democratic Party between those who are the old establishment Democrats, the corporatist Democrats, uh, the Joe Bidens, the Obamas, the Hillary Clintons, who were all corporatist moderate Democrats, centrist Democrats. And now you're getting the rise of the super progressive Democrats, the far left Democrats. Democrats that are trying to outflank Bernie Sanders from the left because he sort of started this whole thing. And based on the popularity of people like AOC, that's becoming the new invigorating blood in the Democratic Party. Now, of course, this fits right in with California Democratic uh, policies. You would think that all these progressive uh, policies are right up California's, right in California's wheelhouse. Which is true, but also not true, because there's still establishment Democrats here. So the Town Hall article reads, California is the largest state in the country and a bastion of progressivism. It's the left coast. Democrats total dominate state politics, and to be honest, the Republicans are not much better. They're mostly Democrat light, which I would agree with them. The California GOP is pretty much dead, something I'd also agree with, but that doesn't mean there isn't drama. The state legislature was rattled by sexual harassment allegations, and in the Me Too era, one such allegation forced California State Party Chair Eric Bauman to resign. So at the state party convention, which was held, uh, this was a couple weeks ago, the party was a mess, but no one wanted to admit it. Vice News' Michael Moynihan ventured into Ground Zero, where he saw a public united front, but behind the scenes, the makings of a vicious civil war between the establishment and far-left wings of the party. 2020 candidate... Uh, John Hickenlooper was booed for saying socialism wasn't the way forward. Moynihan also noted that single-payer health care and impeachment were also issues where the party seemed to fracture. 
Single-payer has been a hot issue, especially in the Golden State. A single-payer proposal was scuffled by California Democrats in 2017 over concerns about cost and how they would pay for it. This led to Democratic lawmakers being the subject of death threats. Even the Washington Post also trashed the proposal as being one that was ruinously expensive. Then came the tar and feathering of incumbent, incumbent Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein who failed to win her party's endorsement in 2018, she won anyway. Still, it showed the growing tension within the party, especially with its uber-liberal grassroots that share one thing in common with Donald Trump. They want to smash the system. Last year's convention was equally rambunctious. So as you can see, there's a lot going on in the California Democratic Party. And this is, like I said, this is a reflection of what's happening on the national level, and you're going to see this bleed into. So stay with me here and see how California and the California progressive policies are now bleeding into the national politics of the Democratic Party and how it's going to possibly tear the Democratic Party apart come 2020. You have these far-left progressive ideas, these Bay Area socialist ideas that are being espoused by the far left here in California. It's being espoused by those who are on the far left in the Democratic Party who are running for president. But you're also seeing candidates who are standing up who are trying to be moderate and saying to themselves, uh, excuse me, if we go too far left, we're probably not going to win the presidential election. Because going too far left, you're not going to be able to win a lot of those swing states. And we'll get to that in a minute. There's an article I want to read to you about that and how even a Democrat here in California wrote that maybe having a Democrat, a California Democrat running for president is not necessarily a good thing. To show you that it's even not to show you that it's not all sunshine and rainbows for California as well. California has a Democratic controlled legislature. Now, suffice it to say, here in California, you'd be hard-pressed to find anything that Donald Trump is more popular than in California. But surprisingly enough, in a CNSNews.com article, they found a survey released by the Public Policy Institute of California and found that Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, is actually more popular in the deep blue state than, than the Democratic legislature. And according to the article, Democratic consultant Steve Maviglio recently told the Los Angeles Times all they hear from Sacramento are proposals for more taxes and more spending for everyone except the middle class. And they rightfully wonder where the high taxes they are already paying are going. And it says, while the president's approval ratings are underwater with only 38% of Californians approving of his job, that's actually, I think, pretty high, 38%, almost 40% in California. This pales in comparison to the state legislature having only 34% among likely voters having confidence in him. Goes on to say, with voters still anxious about a gas hike pushed through last year, recent suggestions of a $2 billion tax hike on everything from water to phones by California Gavin Newsom hasn't eased that apprehension. And Newsom holds a job approval rating of 45% among likely voters, with 29% disapproving and 26% responding don't know. But that just goes to show you that the Democratic Party is not all sunshine and rainbows here in California. 
And like I said in the monologue, it's time for people in California to start enacting and start acting like we really are. A, we are a guerrilla faction fighting a resistance here in California. We can't play by the rules anymore, and we can't be this cute little uh, hoity-toity, cocktail-clinking, country club Republican party anymore. We have to go on the streets and fight like our lives depend on it, because in a lot of ways, it does. You can only continue to push people here in California so far until people break, until people leave, until people say, enough of this, I'm out of here. And as you start to dwindle away the tax base, you start to wonder, hey, wait a second, where are we going to get all the money for these expensive uh, proposals and policies that we have going on? How do you look a California citizen in the eye, someone who goes to work, pays their taxes, buys a home, does all the things that he's supposed to do, says, well, I live in California, I get to pay what they, we all joke about the sunshine tax because it's so nice out here. That's the sunshine tax, that's what you pay for, for living out here. But then they turn around, they see that they're getting $100 million to illegal immigrants who are crossing the border for free health care. Meanwhile, people in California are paying hundreds, if not thousands of dollars for their own health care. And this is not the time to be nice about these issues. The one thing that California GOP needs to start learning, and they keep pushing away the fact that Donald Trump is not popular here. Donald Trump may not be popular here simply because the GOP has basically given up on Donald Trump. Donald Trump, love him or hate him, the reason he won is because of his street fighter mentality. He was not this hoity-toity Republican. He was not the establishment Republican. He was not the country club Republican. In fact, he came in and destroyed the whole system. As I like to say, he was the Molotov cocktail that was thrown straight into Washington and has been blowing stuff up ever since. And a lot of people like that about him. That's why we picked him. Or that's why voters supported him. The California GOP has to stop pretending like how Donald Trump won cannot work here in California because he's not popular. They just showed you he's got 40% approval rating in a state that's deep blue. That's not that terrible. When you consider the fact that Gavin Newsom has a 30% disapproval with 30, almost 25, 30% of people saying they don't really know or don't know how to respond to the question. He's underwater in his approval ratings. 45 is good, but he's still underwater. Nationally, it's not as good as President Trump. So what I'm saying, to bring it all sort of full circle, is that the Democratic Party is ripe for uh, picking them off with the right guerrilla tactics. If you're a fan of Omar Navarro, he was a Republican who ran in Maxing Waters District. If you've been following him on his social media, he's a uh, pretty vocal person out on social media. I know he's been on different cable news stations. But he's taking that sort of guerrilla warfare. He had a great video where he went down to the, the slums of L.A. and kind of went up to people with a microphone in their face and a camera and said, Has Maxine Waters helped you? 
Has anyone helped you? Has any Democrat in L.A. helped you? Then you get a lot of people who are saying, no, nobody comes down here and helps. They supposedly got $100 million to help increase, improve the, uh, the sanitation down there, the infrastructure down there. They haven't seen a dime of it. They don't know where it's gone. This is the guerrilla warfare I'm talking about. In the California GOP, the milk toast GOP here in California, continue to embrace people like John Cox. John Cox, who was the perfect California consultant establishment candidate. Someone who would go out there and wave hands and shake, shake hands, kiss babies, wave to the crowd, go play in all the safe districts. He'd go up and down the Central Valley, take pictures with 20 or so people, and that's it. He wasn't a fighter. You know who was a fighter and whether you loved him or hate him? Travis Allen. Someone like Travis Allen needs to be put at the forefront of the California party or the California GOP. That's my issue. You keep putting these people who into power in California GOP who want to toe the line as if they didn't witness what happened in 2016, as if they look at the brand of politics that President Donald Trump has brought to the Republican Party, has revived the Republican Party from near death. He's infused it with new blood, new energy, new direction. His style may be unorthodox, but it's winning. How can you say a guy who shows up randomly with less than 48 hours notice to any stadium and packs at 10, 20, 30,000 people show up? Meanwhile, you have John Cox, who can probably get maybe about 20 people out in an old person's home out in Stockton. This is what I'm talking about. You need the guerrilla warfare. You need the street fighter mentality that's going on with President Donald Trump. And you need to in, in, in actually embrace that here in California, because at this point, what else do you have to lose? The California GOP is so worried about losing what they're holding on to that they continue to lose District after district after the, they keep losing the uh, the legislature, he, they lost the governorship, they lost everything. But if you had Republicans like Omar Navarro and who were actually going out there and pushing people to say, "Look, what have the Democrats done for you?" I'm going to start calling them out. I'm going to start telling them to debate me. Use these guerrilla war, these guerrilla tactics. Start fighting like our lives depend on it. Now, could I possibly sway the California GOP to start thinking like maybe we should embrace the style of Donald Trump and infuse it into California? I don't know. There's a lot of money that goes into who gets what candidacy and who gets what and who gets the slots, who gets this, who gets that. There's a lot of politics within the California GOP because I've been there. I've seen it. I've seen a lot of people. And they were all resistant to President Trump. I was there uh, how many years ago? I remember when I was there at the convention up in San Francisco. And I remember uh, that was the one where President Trump had to like crawl through under a fence or through a sewer or something to get in because of the protesters. And I can tell you the feeling in that convention was everybody was behind Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz was the real conservative. He was the constitutional conservative that we all needed to run for president and win. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I love Ted Cruz. I think he's a brilliant uh, appellate attorney. He's a brilliant um, senator. I think he's just a guy who knows how to debate. He, he comes off. He's gotten a little bit better. He's not so cringeworthy now. He was a little cringy when he ran for president. He was kind of like that, that kid in your class who was too goody-goody and ran for president and tried to keep a, a, a nice straight-edge profile. He's kind of roughed up around the edges now. He's kind of taken on that whole Twitter thing where he can go after people. But that was the feeling. You know, moments before, you know, a month or two before President Trump actually won the nomination... You had people in California who were not for him. They couldn't they couldn't distance themselves farther from President Trump. So all I'm saying is if you have there is an opening. The California Democrats are not completely in lockstep. They they're very good at putting themselves in lockstep, but there is an opportunity to fracture the party into two and to win some stuff back here in California. We just need to adopt the correct tactics. We need to reach the right people. A few points here or there. And you start talking about flipping a lot of things. So we'll see. But back to the California uh, Democratic primary and what's going on with that. This was an article that was in this SF Chronicle, so take it what you will. It's going to be very slanted. Um, And the next one after that I have is from the LA Times, so that one's also going to be very slanted. But it's good to read what the other side is thinking. You can't just keep looking at what Fox News says or OAN or Breitbart or all that stuff. you got to read into what uh, the other people are saying or what they think. So this one is called California will probably pick the new the next president, which contain your laughter if you think that California is going to pick the next president. I don't think they will. And I think that's talked about in the next article. Beto O'Rourke fails, falls face first into the water while trying to surf off La Jolla. Joe Biden dons a paper hat to take orders. I love mine animal style, too, ma'am, in an in and out drive through. Bernie Sanders, desperate to catch frontrunner Biden, packs a bong with legally grown California cannabis and smokes it. The meme breaks the internet. For now, these scenes are merely the product of one columnist's imagination. But in the next 10 months, don't be surprised if they show up in the reality show we call the presidential race. Traditionally, California has had little to say in picking presidents. Other Americans, out of a commitment to electing steady, even boring presidents, allowed dull states, Iowa and New Hampshire, to drive the process. But Americans no longer are attached to sober-minded presidents. That cultural shift, in combination with an early California primary and an unpopular Republican president, in his opinion, means that the Golden State might well pick the next president. I'm sorry, I try not to laugh whenever I read that line. The process of selection should involve the whole state because Democrats decide to allocate delegates to anyone who wins at least 15% of the vote in any California congressional district. While more delegates are allocated to districts with more Democrats, which will push candidates to spend more time in Democratic-heavy coastal districts, lesser-known contenders are likely to make hay by going to the state's interior to pick up delegates in districts where there may be less competition. 
The race will not be easy for anyone, even California's own Senator Kamala Harris, who could struggle to meet expectations that she should win her home state. And while California has been represented in the Senate exclusively by women since 1992, it remains to be seen whether it is favorable turf for women seeking the presidency. Yes, Hillary Clinton won the 2008 and 2016 presidential primaries here, but as a state, we've been less inclined to select women to executive positions. California has never had a female governor, and Los Angeles has never had a female mayor. Uh, California is not fertile ground for Republican challenger to the president. Republicans here like Trump nearly as much as Republicans nationally, which I don't understand what that means either, but sure. This is the SF Chronicle. Keep in mind. They live up in that little bubble. But it's not just about the candidates. California is likely to shape the issues of the presidential campaign. Previous presidential races have focused on the economy, health care, and national security. But housing and homeless as the top priorities of many Californians will become national issues next year. Remember how I said in the last one, interesting how now all of a sudden it is a homelessness is a national issue. Interesting. I'll give the Democrats this. I will say this. The Democrats are very good about sending out internal memos throughout the party so that everyone's sort of on the same page. Republicans are not so much because Republicans like to think they are all free thinkers and they like to actually criticize or think uh, critically about things. But Democrats, I'll give it to them. You know, it was Governor Newsom who started off and then Nancy Pelosi jumped in and said, well, this is a national issue, homelessness. Look at it now. You have someone in the SF Chronicle saying how homelessness, which is a top priority of Californians, will become a national issue uh, next year. Goes on to say other lower profile issues that divide Californians like water and high speed rail also should become big points of contention as presidential candidates spend more time here. And California's teachers union may have been asking candidates to back federal regulations to curtail the growth of charter schools as a condition of their support. Climate change debates over the state's policies to curtail it through cap and trade and growing anxiety over disasters like the fire that destroyed paradise also could move from California to the national arena. And our state's commitment to protecting immigrants and their families, regardless of legal status, should shape the race. In California, perhaps more than anywhere else, Biden is likely to face potent attacks from rivals who point to his service in the Obama administration that engaged in massive deportation of immigrants. But our votes are not the only way that Californians will impact the selection of the president. Despite new methods of online fundraising from small donors, the state's richest people will have even more power and influence than usual. As candidates grow desperate for funding in such a large field, the struggle for attention could also make the backing of Hollywood figures even more important. Look for next year's Oscars, which will take place just three weeks before the California primary, to be the most political in history, with perhaps some candidates walking the red carpet to boost their name recognition. But it's through technology that Californians are likely to have the most impact on the identity of the next president. This cuts many ways. The decisions made by Menlo Park-based Facebook in handling political content will affect Americans' very perceptions of the content. And of course, the California titans of the internet, including Google and Twitter, could potentially be harnessed by those who mean American democracy harm. At the same time, Facebook and other tech giants are becoming a major issue in the race. Should they be broken up? How do we defend our privacy from them? There are reasons to worry about a president picked by California. This is a wonderful place of beaches and innovation, but it is also the volatile, crazy state that gave us Prop 13 and the Kardashians. If we Californians give America a president who reflects our state true preferences and character, the whole world may feel as if it smoked something. 
So that was the article that talked about how uh, picking a Democrat through California could potentially have a problem with the national stage, which I think it would. I think if you pick someone who's a little too far left, you're going to have an issue. You're not going to be able to win on the big stage. You're not going to be able to beat Trump in the Rust Belt. You're not going to be able to beat... You're not, be, you're not going to be able to go toe-to-toe with him. It's just the simple fact of it. How can you as a socialist look at what's going on with the economy and go to the Rust Belt where they've started to see manufacturing come back, go to places like Pennsylvania where manufacturing has come back, and say to them, hey, you know how all these jobs are coming back and the economy's gotten a lot better for you guys? How about you vote for socialism and I'll get rid of all of it? A globalist socialist who's going to open up the borders again, let the companies leave whenever they want, and we'll be back at square one. I don't think that's going to happen. Let me just get these pages correct. This next one, hold on to your hats, is a little bit longer. This is the LA Times article about picking the president. One by one, the Democratic presidential candidates campaigning in Iowa show their fealty to ethanol, the corn-based fuel that supports over 42,000 jobs and buoys the state's crucial agricultural colony. That is the raw power that Iowa, which holds the first test of the 2020 presidential election, possesses in American politics, at least for a while. By the morning after the February 3rd caucuses, the contenders may never mention the commodity again. Many years ago, the late historian Kevin Starr said that modern California was an ecumenical experiment conducted on an unprecedented level. Now, the product of that experiment, carried out over centuries by missionaries and miners, dreamers, and the down-and-out producers of airliners, iPhones, and Hollywood films, has the real potential of dominating one of the most important elections of modern times. For it is the trademark issues and values of California immigration, healthcare, trade, and environment that to a large extent will drive this presidential contest. The notion of a national race being a referendum on one state's values or, in another conception, a struggle between the worldview of California and the worldview of President Donald Trump could only emerge in a political environment where urgent economic and foreign policy issues won't dominate as they ordinarily do. To the extent that economic issues are in play, they are poverty, globalization, income equality, all central to the California zeitgeist. Quote, these are topics where California conflicts with the the most of President Trump. Unquote, said Bill Carrick, a veteran Los Angeles-based Democratic strategist. We are as far out of touch with this president as we've ever been with any president. It's striking, and it's all over California and over all the issues. An early March 3rd primary in the presence of California candidates, including Senator Kamala Harris and Bay Area Rep. Eric Swalwell, among the nearly two dozen Democratic candidates, only serves to heighten the California orientation of the 2020 election. Or as Mark Baldessari, the president of the nonprofit Public Policy Institute of California, puts it, the issues that are front and center in California are the very ones the country will be forced to confront in the next four or five years. For decades, California has been where the American future first came into focus, thanks to visionaries who peered beyond the present. The pioneers of the film, aerospace, and high-tech industries, yes, but all political leaders like the liberals, Hiram Johnson and Upton Sinclair, and the conservatives Arthur Laffer and Ronald Reagan. Those ideological fault lines persist, dominant on the left but not dormant on the right, in a California that more than ever seems a world of its own. 
The state boasts the world's fifth largest economy, a population of 40 million exceeds that of Canada. California's 55 electoral votes are more than a fifth of the total required to win the White House to work in the swing states of Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, as well as the perennial battlegrounds of Florida and Ohio. Today, the state is big and powerful enough to pursue its own economic and foreign policies. A key issue setting California apart and setting a standard for the rest of the country is climate change. The state has pledged to reduce greenhouse gas emissions to 40% below 1990 levels in a fewer than a dozen years while dramatically increasing renewable energy and reducing the reliance on fossil fuels. The release of L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti's Green New Deal with its zero-emissions transportation network and elimination of plastic straws and single-use takeout food receptacles echoes previous pioneering initiatives. It signaled the primacy of environmental issues in a state that in 1882 ended hydraulic mining options after Central Valley farmers complained of the damaging debris, a decision regarded as a landmark in American environmental history. Uh, let's see. Going on, going on, going on. The majority of California voters are more likely to support an expansion of Obamacare than its replacement. This is a very blue state filled with Democrats and minorities for whom health is a top issue said Drew Altman, president of the San Francisco-based Kaiser Family Foundation, which studies healthcare-related issues. Um, the Trump tax bill will also get substantial attention, especially in California, where taxpayers this spring unhappily discovered one of the bill's major features, the $10,000 federal cap imposed on the deduction of state and local taxes. The average state and local tax burden in California is $18,438, according to a Pew Foundation study, making the impact particularly onerous. Another, another notable part of the 2020 political calculus is the increased role California could play in selecting Trump's opponent. This is a direct result of moving the California primary from June at the end of the primary season to March 3rd after the four lead states of Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina vote. Of course, not all hold California its brand of left-coast liberalism in particularly high regard. The influence of the state by virtue of its size, its position on the primary calendar, and perhaps if the eventual nominee or vice presidential candidate is a Californian, could prove worrisome for Democrats if it's seen as moving the party too far left. The Democrats are in the middle of an argument about who they are, and one of the options is to be a California party with California views. All the themes that work for a large portion of Democrats are themes that really resonate in California, but they have to be careful because in being a California party, they risk alienating the Midwestern voters they didn't get last time. If the Democrats view this election as a choice between California and Donald Trump, they risk winning only states like California. And winning states like California isn't enough as long as we still have the Electoral College. So, of course, another swipe at the Electoral College because uh, the Electoral College only works um, when their president wins. So when President Obama won, ah, there's no problem with the Electoral College. Uh, when President Trump wins and beats Hillary Clinton because she won the popular vote, well, then there's something wrong with the Electoral College. But here's my overall point. This is what I've been saying, and Democrats are now even starting to recognize it. The fact that if you elect or nominate someone who's too far to the left, you might as well just call the election for President Trump right now. And you have politicians like uh, John Delaney, who went out there in the California convention, Democrat convention, and says something like, uh, you know, we can't do Medicare for all because it's a bad idea or Medicaid for all. And people boo him. And you have AOC going on Twitter 
working her furious little fingers, saying you should sashay your way out of this. But the guy is right. And it's a shame. It kind of goes back to the whole Howard Schultz thing. I don't even know if Howard Schultz is still running. I haven't read anything that he's not going to run or he is running. But maybe the fact that uh, a lot of people had a lot of problems with the fact that he was running, he, he, he bowed out gracefully. But this is a problem with the Democratic Party. Nationally, I would say the farther left they go, the better. Let them keep going farther left. Let them keep embarrassing themselves. Because then you get more people who are more populist. You get to see the populist movement continue to rise. President Trump will probably win it, most likely win a second term if you get a California Democrat in there. It's that simple. History repeats itself, okay? It's like when uh, Ronald Reagan went up against Michael Dukakis. Was it Michael Dukakis? Yeah. And was it? I'm trying to think. Was it Dukakis, George W. Bush, or was it Ronald Reagan? Either way, when Ronald Reagan won his second term, and he, he just wiped the floor with his opponent. That's what it could be like. You could see a bigger electoral victory his second term if you get a California Democrat in there. Because a lot of people are going to see the stuff that you say in the primary does not go away. And a lot of these politicians who think that they're going to have to outflank someone like a Bernie Sanders to kind of sacrifice at the altar of socialism, they're going to have to pay up when it comes to the general election. When you get to the general election, you don't think that the strategists on the right, you don't think President Trump's strategists, people like that, are already taking note. They're already getting sound bites. They're already figuring out ways to go after you. Now you got to back all that rhetoric up to win, to even have a hope at winning states like Pennsylvania or Michigan or Wisconsin. And if you can't win those states, forget it. If you can't win states like Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, just pack it up. And if you have a far left socialist at the top of the the party and you see a lot of moderate Democrats who are just kind of like, not really crazy about the socialism. Someone like me who looks at a socialist Democrat and says, not really crazy about the whole socialism thing. They may, out of two things, they may, one, not vote at all. Or two, they may vote for President Trump. Because they may look at President Trump and say, well, the economy's doing pretty well under him. And he's not talking about taking most of my money for God knows whatever, for climate change or whatever. I'm going to go with this guy. So California is has positioned itself in an interesting place nationally. But coming back to the state level and what's coming, what's going on at the local level, there is an opening. There is an opportunity for conservatives, independents, moderates. <coughs> excuse me to kind of get in there and start wedging the Democratic Party apart. There's only so far you can really go. And I know it's hard, it's tough to think in California that people are just going to blindly vote Democrat. People used to think that they would blindly vote Republican in Orange County until they flipped it. Districts are flippable if you work on it. But the California GOP has to really step it up, and they have to start driving a wedge into the heart of the California Democratic Party. They can't continue to play these cute little games. They can't continue to play nice by the rules. 
the Democrats sure, uh, Democrats sure as hell will not play by the rules. They have never played by the rules, and they don't expect that they ever think they will play by the rules. No one on the Democratic side is expected to play by the rules. Like I said in the opening monologue, when you're fighting what you think is a moral crusade to save America, all rules and everything go out the window. When you, when you have this belief, this radical radicalized belief that what you're doing is one of the most holy and important things to do, rules don't matter. Rules don't apply to you. And Democrats have been doing that again and again and again and again. Now, those on the right, President Trump has been trying to change the rules and say, look, I don't, I don't live by the rules, and it's worked for him. He's a street fighter, and he figures it out, and he does it. Now, a lot of people say, well, it's unpresidential. Well, that's the thing. They want him to play by the rules. They're frustrated because they thought, well, Republicans play by the rules. We don't play by the rules. That's how we keep beating Republicans is because we don't play by the rules. Now you have a president in there who they call unpresidential because he doesn't, quote, play by the rules. Okay. Republicans need to get better at that. Republicans need to step up this idea of guerrilla warfare and actually go after it. Contrary to popular belief, contrary to the fact that the establishment, that you, the, the internet, the YouTube, uh, the YouTube, excuse me, I sound like an old person, that YouTube, Google, all these tech giants, that culture, that Hollywood, that sports, that all this stuff seems to lean left. They need it because if they don't have that support, they would crumble. If they didn't have the support of big tech and big tech was wide open and let anybody talk, they wouldn't win. Their their ideas would be absolute their ideas are absolute garbage. That's why they need this handicap to let people like YouTube demonetize conservative speakers because they think it's quote hate speech. This new Vogue turn is, oh, that's hate speech. That's hate speech. So I can just mark anything hate speech. So therefore, if it's hate speech, I can I can demonetize or, or ban you. That's the guerrilla warfare they're using on us. And it's time for us to turn around and say, okay, it's time for us to play with more guerrilla warfare. It's not time for us to go quietly. It's not time for us to, to say, oh, the geez, oh, shucks, we lost again. No, it's time to get out there and do what we need to do. It's time to be like the Omar Navarro, go into the belly of the beast and start pushing voters to say, do you think what Maxine Waters is doing is good for your district? Do you think a Nancy Pelosi, what she's doing for your district is good? Do you think a Gavin Newsom is good for this state? It's time to push back and cute little Instagram tweets or, or little things from the California GOP that get, I don't know, maybe a dozen or so likes or, or interactions. Do you think that's winning the culture war? Do you think that's winning us over? I don't think so. And, and they push people like Travis Allen out, out into the cold because he's, he's a little too radical for them or he doesn't play by the rules or they don't like him. The guy had more enthusiasm for his campaign and what he was doing than John Cox ever could have hoped for. Yet they, again, the California GOP pushes him aside because they want to continue. And and this is a little conspiracy theory, I believe, is that the California GOP likes playing the lovable loser. It helps increase their fundraising. 
if they keep saying we're the we're you know we're we're trying to fight back against Democrats. Burp, 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 burp. Donate now and we'll fight against the tax repeal. Who? It it doesn't work in the end. That's what I'm trying to say is is they're playing by old rules in a new world where the other side's not playing. It's like the old saying, the California GOP is playing checkers, they're playing chess. In fact, it's not even like that. It's not even the same board. They're playing mahjong or, or Chinese checkers. That's what's going on here. And conservatives and moderates and libertarians and independents need to start waking up and realizing that there is an opportunity to push these leftists and break them apart. It's going to be done. It's being done on the national level right now, and it can be done on a state level as well. So with that said, I'm going to close out this episode. Keep an eye on what's going on, because the California Democrats and the National Democrats, they got a lot of problems, and who's going to take advantage? So I like to say, as I always do, spread the word if you know people who are interested in this stuff. Tell them to go to anchor.fm slash California Underground to subscribe. You can follow us on all the iTunes, Spotify, all that stuff through Anchor. Go on Instagram, California Underground, follow all that. If you want to talk to me, California Underground at protonmail.com. You can go to anchor.fm uh, slash California Underground, leave a voice message. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 